All right, good afternoon, New Philly. Very, very good to see you all. This, this church is growing, by the way. I don't know if you guys noticed, but it's, it's getting further back and further to the side. And that's an exciting thing. We know that God is only increasing us in this hour, and it is exciting to see fruit of that. This afternoon, I want to speak a bit about faith. Susie, could you point that up a bit? That's great. Thank you. A bit about faith, the topic of faith. We've been learning a few things about faith in this season at this church. And one of the things that Pastor Christian has talked about is that it is only faith that moves the heart of God and the resources of heaven. Heaven is moved when we believe God for things. We're learning that need does not move the heart of God. If I approach God on the basis of my need, I'm not going to get what I want to get from God. I'm not going to get what I ask him. If I come to him and say, God, I need this, I need this, I need this, and my focus is on me and what I need God's simply not going to give it to me. You see that time and time again, the resources of heaven, the heart of God is not moved by need. The heart of God is also not moved by righteousness. As strange as that might sound, particularly righteousness, specifically, I should say righteousness that we're depending on. When we depend on our own righteous acts, our own righteous deeds, God is not moved by that. I could do all of the good things I could think of to try to earn the favor and the approval of God, but God will say no to anything I ask him for when I ask him on the basis of my righteous acts. God has no interest in that. Isaiah 64 says something very interesting. It says, our righteous acts are like filthy rags before God. He has no interest in them. I don't know if that's shocking or surprising to you. And the filthy rags that he's referring to, without getting too explicit about it, what, he, what the prophet Isaiah is, is speaking out there, he, he's talking about menstrual garments. Okay. I don't know if I should get more explicit than that. Some preachers tend to do that, but, but it's like coming to God with dirty menstrual garments and saying, God, here are my righteous acts. And God's saying that disgusts me. When you are trying to earn something from God on the basis of, of what you do on merit earning, God says, forget it. That, that's very Buddhist, by the way. Buddhism is all about earning merit, doing good things so that you can you know, grow in favor and hopefully be reincarnated into some better form than you were in this past life. God has absolutely no interest in that. The only thing that moves the heart of God is faith. And even going back to the issue of need, there are needs all over the world, by the way. You see people starving, people orphans. 
God, if God wanted to, he could meet every single person in their place of need right now. He's God. All he would need to do is speak the word and it would be done. He could finish off poverty and famine in any nation in an instant. But God doesn't do that. He did that actually once in the Old Testament in Exodus when his people were traveling around the, well, they're wandering around the wilderness and they were hungry. They had a need and that need was food. They were not crying out to God on the basis of faith. They were hungry. They were grumpy and angry and they needed food. And God met them in that place of need. He, he rained down bread from the sky and he rained down quail from the sky. He gave them water from rocks, but it accomplished nothing for the development of those people. Those people ended up rebelling against God and dying in the wilderness. Everyone who did not believe him. God moves on the basis of faith. I had the chance to be on the new Philly missions team that went to West Papua a couple of years ago, 20, 2010. A few of you are here. Jamie was there. She's letting people know. Uh, but that trip was marked by a number of things. And one of the things that was marked by was, was physical healings. We saw over a hundred physical healings on this trip, which to God is actually not a big deal. But to us is, is a big deal because that's not normally what we walk in on a daily basis. And we would go to these events, we'd go to these churches, and we'd hold these services. And at the places where healing was breaking out, the only thing I can really attribute that to, more than anything else, is that the atmosphere was charged with faith. There was, just, there was faith. That the people ministering had faith, the people being ministered to had faith. And that faith only increased... As healings were happening, one person got healed of an, an arm illness, and then that would increase the faith of someone who had a knee pain. And that would increase the, the faith of someone who had massive headaches. And faith would increase as healing took place. But the atmosphere was charged with faith. And as we believed God for things, he moved. The resources of God, the heart of God, are moved by faith. Faith is like, it's like the lightning rod of God. The, the best way I can think of to describe it, that, do you guys all know what a lightning rod is? Okay, a lightning rod is the big metal pole they put at the top of tall buildings so those buildings don't get struck by lightning and get set on fire and burned to the ground. Okay, because we all know that at this point in history that Lightning is attracted to metal. Metal is a conduit of electricity. Lightning is electricity. And, thank you. And, uh, <laughs> and when there is metal that is high enough in the sky during a lightning storm, lightning will naturally strike that metal. It is drawn to it. It wants nothing less than to be connected to that metal. Right? 
And so now all the tall buildings you will see in any place where there is lightning, and I think every place has the potential of that, you will see these poles there. God is so drawn to faith. It's like God can't resist it. He loves it. He loves it more. I feel like when I read the Bible, I feel what I see is that he loves faith more than like anything because he's so drawn to it. He, he can't resist it. You see this through the Gospels, okay, with Jesus. Jesus is continually responding to faith. He responds to faith, and he responds to unbelief. You see it many, many times in the Gospels. He says things like, your faith has healed you. He says things like, according to your faith... It will be done for you. The requirement there is faith. It's not need. It's not righteousness. It's just faith. I find it very interesting. I think it was mentioned here in a service once. And I looked it up just to make sure it was true. And I found it to be true. That there are only two things in the Gospels that Jesus was, quote unquote, amazed by. Only two times in the four books describing Jesus' life and his ministry did it say Jesus was amazed by something? In Luke 7, Jesus is being asked by some, some Jews to come heal the centurion. Okay, centurion's servant, I should say. And when the centurion responded to Jesus' coming to his house, he said, you don't even need to come to my house. Just say the word from wherever you are, and I know it's already going to be done. I'm a man under authority. I understand what authority looks like, and I believe that you can do that and that you will do that. And Jesus was, quote-unquote, amazed. He said, I haven't seen such faith even in Israel. The centurion was not an Israelite. Jesus was amazed by that. The only other place where we see Jesus being amazed in the Gospels is in Mark 6, when Jesus is in his hometown of Nazareth, his hometown, people he knows and who know him, he goes to minister there, and he'd been healing people all over the place. He'd seen power show up and be released through him all over the place. And when he gets to Nazareth, The Bible says something very interesting. It says in Mark 6, he could not do many miracles there because of the people's unbelief. He, not not, not he would not, he could not. Isn't he God? You know? Bible says he could not. Now, Jesus being a man, being empowered and led by the Holy Spirit, having set aside his divine qualities while on earth, but being fully filled with the Holy Spirit, he could not do many miracles because of the unbelief of the people. And Jesus was, quote-unquote, amazed by that. Wow. You are so filled with unbelief. Jesus is interested in faith, and it's faith that moves the heart of God. Hebrews 11, 6 says this very potent statement without faith. It is impossible to please God. You cannot find a different way to please God. You can't take a different route to 
pleasure the heart of God besides faith. You need to have faith to please God, to move the resources of heaven. And what I want to focus on this afternoon is what faith looks like and what faith requires. Okay? And to do that, I want to turn to to Hebrews 11, a very well-known passage on faith. Hebrews 11, looking at verse 1. So Hebrews 11.1 1 is basically everyone's favorite definition of what faith is. If someone were to ask me, b- before I was preparing this sermon, I should say, if anyone were to ask me what faith is, I would instantly give them Hebrews 11.1. 1. And if you're looking there in the ESV, it says this. Let's read it together. Hebrews 11.1, 1, let's go. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. All right, very simple, right? In the NIV, it says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Now, there is often a big misunderstanding that comes along with that verse. Because when we see that verse, what we naturally are drawn to is that it's based on what you can't see. And I've said this, I've even taught this before, that faith is based on, that faith requires not being able to see something. And there's truth in that. But the misunderstanding comes here. That people begin to believe that faith is blind. And that's not what the passage is saying. Faith, brothers and sisters, is not blind. I'll tell you this. Faith has nothing to do with your physical eyes. But faith has everything to do with your spiritual eyes. And we need to understand that our spiritual eyes in a very real sense are actually more real than our physical eyes. We're not used to thinking that way. Our physical eyes are going to fade away. They're going to, I'm going to die. You know, my eyes are not going to be any good to me in the ground. I'm going to get a resurrected body someday. Hallelujah. As well as all of you guys, you're going to have a resurrected body, different eyes. Okay. I'm not going to have the same eyes I have now. They're not that good. I have to wear contacts or glasses. My physical eyes are not the issue, but my spiritual eyes will last forever. And someday when I'm with Jesus in glory, I will see in the fullness with my spiritual eyes, okay? So that's what we're talking about when we talk about faith. Faith requires, and I want to drive this home this afternoon, faith requires revelation. Faith is always based on revelation. It's not some wishy-washy, you know, weak, about to teeter over sort of thing. Faith is based on the certainty and the assurance of some kind of revelation. That's what we need. Revelation. If you look further in Hebrews, just to emphasize that, 
And that's what you talk about. Hebrews 11 is it's called the Faith Hall of Fame by many people. It's story after story, example after example of people in the Old Testament who lived by faith. And what it's not saying is that their faith was blind. It's saying their faith was based on the revelation of something. It talks about Noah. God told Noah, it's going to rain. He had never seen rain before. No one in that time or ever had ever seen rain. God said, it's going to rain and I'm going to flood the earth to rid it of wickedness. I need you to build a boat. I'm calling you to build a boat. And so Noah goes and he builds a boat. He doesn't do it blindly. He does it based on the revelation of what God had said. It's not blind faith. Get blind faith out of your vocabulary right now. It's always based on revelation. It says later in Hebrews 11 that Abraham was told by God to go leave his homeland and go into a land he was going to show him. So Abraham got up and went. It wasn't blind faith because God told him something and he was acting in response to what God had told him. Abraham and his wife, Sarah, gave birth to a child in their old age. The reason that God counts that as righteousness and as faith is because they heard the word of God and they believed it. It's not like they were growing old without hearing anything from God and just wishfully thinking that they were going to bear a child someday. It had nothing to do with that. They were responding in belief on the revelation or to the revelation that God had given them. And then verse 27 of Hebrews, it says in the interesting, you can check this out. Hebrews eleven twenty-seven. I'm talking about Moses. It says, by faith... He left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Why did Moses leave Egypt? Why was that okay for him to do it? Because he saw something, not with his physical eyes, but with his spiritual eyes. God physically was invisible to him, but spiritually he could see him. In response to that revelation... Moses went. Okay? Faith is based on revelation. And I want to focus on just a couple of different ways in which we respond to the revelation of God. A couple of different things that faith is based on the revelation of. Okay? There are a number, a number of things, numerous things that we could respond to. But I'm going to focus on just a couple of them that I feel are important for us this afternoon. One thing that faith is based on the revelation of is who God is. We need to have revelation of who God is. The Bible is filled with information, revelation about who God is. Most specifically about God's very name. God has many names in the Bible. Okay? One of his names... Jehovah Rapha. That means the God who heals you. It says that in Exodus 15. I am the God who heals you. That's not just what I do. That's my name. You can call me that. You can address me as the God who heals. 
because I just called myself that. And I'm God. He's called Jehovah Jireh. That is the God who provides. It's not just what he does. It's actually what his name is. He is the God who provides. He's called Emmanuel, God with us. He is naturally, by his very nature, with us. So when we come to God in the place of prayer, we come to him, or we can come to him, on the basis of who he is. Right? We come to him for healing. If we need healing for something, or we're praying for healing for someone else, we come to him on the basis of who he is as Jehovah Rapha. We come to him on the basis of his name. Jehovah Rapha, God who heals. That is who you are. That is your identity. You are the God who heals. I ask you for healing for this person because I know that's the most natural thing in the world for you to do. Okay? It's his name. It's kind of like a lot of English names. Okay? A lot of English last names, I should say. A lot of Starting in the Middle Ages, I believe, people began to have last names that described what they did. Right? You got like Joe Thatcher or Sam Miller or Joseph Baker or I was going to say Heidi. I just heard Baker. That was the next name that came to mind. Uh, yeah, so you got Smith, you've got Fisher, you've got Barber, you've got Plumber. People were called by what they did. Right? So it's only natural. If I need someone to do some blacksmith work for me, I'm going to go to a smith. If I need someone to do some fishing for me, or I need to get some fish, I'm going to go to a fisher. That's his name. That's actually what he does. God has these names that he's given us to communicate to us who he is beyond even what he does. Here's another one. I found this helpful. I'm not sure if you will, but I'll try this. Okay. This insect called a fly. Have you ever thought of that? Okay. Once upon a time, someone looked at this insect with wings, watched what it did very naturally and called it a fly. What, what does a fly, even beyond what it does, what is its nature? To fly. It's pretty pathetic when you see a fly that doesn't fly. Sometimes they're injured and you know they can't fly. It's really sad. They're called fly. You're a fly. That's who you are. Another one that's similar is grasshopper. Okay? Once upon a time, someone saw this insect in action... Watched what it did and gave it the name Grasshopper. Okay, that's just what it did. That's its very nature. It's describing who it is. God's very nature is Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nisi, the Lord our banner. When Pastor Anita and I were looking for a new apartment last year, running low on time, uh, we appealed to the Lord on the basis of who he was as Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. And the God who delights in providing 
beyond our expectation. The God who delights in providing according to his glorious needs in Christ, his glorious riches, I should say, in Christ Jesus, because he promises to do that. And so when we looked for an apartment, we would pray. We would ask the Lord and we would stand under the favor and grace of the Lord as Jehovah Jireh. And I tell you, those are some of the sweetest times I've had praying with my wife was on the basis, simply of the revelation. This is who God is. It's not only what God does. It's not only what he wants to do. It's who he is. The most natural thing in the world for God is to provide. Our faith needs to be based on revelation. And not just on the revelation of who God has specifically called in the Bible, but you'll see lots of patterns in Scripture that give you great insight into who God is. Okay, this year we've called the year of increase for New Philadelphia Church. We believe that God is growing us, and we see with our physical eyes some manifestation of that already. And we're doing that on the basis of not only what God's saying to us for this moment, because he's talking to us and telling us he's increasing us, but also on the basis of who God simply is. God is simply a God of increase. Now, you will not find that statement in the Bible. That's not a name of God in the Bible. But when I looked into it, not in the Greek, not in the Hebrew, just in the English, when I looked into it, the word increase in the Bible occurs 80 times. Okay? 80 times people are talking about increase. As increase for the people of God, almost exclusively. But when I looked up how many times the word decrease is found in the Bible, it's only found four times in the translation I saw. You've got 80 times God is emphasizing and driving home increase, increase this, increase that, increase this. And then on the other side, decrease four times. Two of those times that says decrease, the Lord is saying, do not decrease. Okay? He's commanded them, don't decrease. You can't. I won't let you. Don't do it because I am a God of increase. I love to increase things. The increase of his government will know no ends. It just won't because God is a God of increase. So we can appeal to him on the basis of who he is as a God of increase. He's only interested in increase. If it's not quantitative, it's qualitative every time. He's always based, he's always interested in increase. You look at Jabez, the life of Jabez, simple prayer. Jabez simply prays, God bless me indeed. Increase my territory. Have your hand with me and keep me from evil. He said, God bless me, increase me. And God looked at that and he said, I'm pleased with that. I'm going to honor that request. And the Bible just simply says, and God honored his request. God is the God of increase. So we are always set on the heart of God in the place of increase. When we were looking for the retreat center this year, I was privileged to be a part of that search through the countryside for a retreat center. And Pastor Myungwa looked tirelessly for retreat centers because the retreat center we had used and we had booked was a great place. Okay. We loved it. We had a great time there last year. We had planned to be there again. 
And when that was taken away from us, our hearts were set only on increase. We would not have a retreat at a lesser place. We refused it. We thought we were running out of options. I took a drive, I don't know, a couple hours in the countryside, an hour and a half with Pastor Nita, Pastor Myungwa, and, and we thought this was like our last chance. Pastor Myungwa looked at how many retreat centers online, like almost 100 retreat centers online. I did not know there were that many in Korea. But they're all closed because it was children's weekend, children's day weekend and everything. Very busy time. In the natural, it was impossible. In the natural, there was nothing there. And we ended up going to this retreat center. We kind of had our hopes on it. We saw some decent pictures of it. We went there, we checked it out, and our hearts sank. Because it just wasn't that nice. I mean, the sanctuary was not much bigger than this with like a second level. And it was kind of dirty. Uh, the, the hallways were all dirty. It was very dusty. And we were wondering, should we just settle for this place? Because this is like, this is like our last, we don't have another option. We're going to have a retreat very soon and we need a place. And we felt the Lord saying to us, no, reject it. You are not coming back here. Yeah, exactly. And and so we say, okay, God, this is, it has to be you. And we appeal to you on the basis of who you are as a God of increase. We know that you are not interested in decreasing us in any way. And so we ended up with this amazing retreat center, far better than the oneness center that we were at last year. God is only interested in increasing us, but he will only do that as we believe him for it. If we believe him for it. Our faith is based on revelation. So it's based on the revelation of who God is. Another thing it's based on is what God has said. It's based on who God is, what he has said. The faith we have requires us knowing what God has said and knowing his promises. We need revelation of that. When Daniel, in Daniel 9, he prayed for the restoration of Israel and the return of the exiles to Jerusalem. In 586 BC, Jerusalem was destroyed by the Babylonians. Uh, Most of the nation was carried off into exile. Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple was destroyed. But there was a prophecy that came through the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 25. And God says through the prophet Jeremiah, it's going to be 70 years. I'm telling you right now, it's going to be 70 years. And then I'm going to return the exiles. I'm going to do something in Babylon. There's going to be a way made for people to get out of there and go back to Jerusalem. And so when Daniel picks this up, he finds he's reading the word. He's reading the prophet Jeremiah and he realizes, wow, it's, 70 years. This is, God has told us already that it is at this time in this year, he's going to fulfill it. So Daniel gets on his knees and starts praying. Daniel's praying in faith, but that faith is based on the revelation of what God has already said. It's not blind faith. It's not just wishful thinking because anything that you ask God for apart from revelation 
is wishful thinking, by the way. Daniel sets himself to do that, and God fulfills that. The exiles start returning to Jerusalem based on what God has said. We pray, when we pray, Lord, pour out your spirit. Even when we sing a song like, let it rain. You know, let it rain, let it rain, open the floodgates of heaven. Would you come, come like you promised, pour out your spirit on all flesh. We don't pray, God, pour out your spirit because we like the Holy Spirit. Although we do. We don't pray it because we know the Holy Spirit transforms lives and we think that's a good idea. Because we think that as well. We pray it because God has spoken it clearly in his word. He's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. Our sons and daughters will prophesy. The old men will dream dreams. Young men will see visions. God is going to, he hasn't done it yet. He has not poured out a spirit in all flesh yet. There was a partial manifestation of that in Acts 2, and it still is today. But we have yet to see it. So we declare that, and we ask God on the basis of what he has said, the revelation in the word of God. Lord, pour out your spirit. Pour out your spirit in all flesh. Because that's your heart. That's what you have said. We believe you for it because you have said it. When we pray for healing for someone, we don't just pray because of our personal compassion for that person. We don't just pray because of the revelation of who God is as Jehovah Rapha. We also pray on the basis of what God has said about healing, about what he has accomplished through the work of his son Jesus on the cross. It says in Isaiah 53, by his wounds we are healed. Now, if there are people here who've had a hard time with that passage in relation to healing, I understand you very well. Because it always, confession, it always annoyed me before when people would use that passage in relation to physical healing. It used to really bother me because when I read Isaiah 53, it's about the suffering servants. It's a prophecy about what Jesus would endure and what would be accomplished through his sacrifice. I always saw it as the work of salvation, spiritual healing. By his physical wounds, we are healed spiritually. And there's a great emphasis on that in the New Testament. And so it would annoy me when people would declare that over people, you know, by his wounds, you are healed. Okay. But I failed. I I guess I just kind of overlooked a very significant passage of scripture in Matthew eight that says otherwise. Let's turn there just so you guys see it. So, you know, Matthew eight. In Matthew 8, looking at verse 14, it says, And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits of the word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, 
He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. I'm not sure how I missed that passage before. But if any Bible scholar, if, if any, the, the most conservative Bible scholar, if he is honest with that passage, he understands that Isaiah 53 is about healing that goes far beyond spiritual healing. We ask God for healing on the basis of what he has done in Christ and what he has said that that has accomplished for us. By his wounds, we indeed experience and receive physical healing. We pray to God with faith. That faith needs to be based on revelation. And that's why it's so important to know the word of God. If you don't know the word of God, you don't have revelation to base your faith on. You need to know it. Here's another aspect of this. Another way in which God has spoken to us, besides specifically the word of God, is through prophetic words. Okay? 1 Timothy 1, 18. You don't need to turn there. It's okay. 1 Timothy 1, 18. Paul tells Timothy to war on the basis or to live on the basis of the prophecies that have been made about him. When there have been prophetic words that have gone out for you specifically or for us corporately, it's important for us not to treat prophecy with contempt, but to live in response to it. We can have faith in God on the basis of what he has told us in the place of prophecy. God wants us to. Prophecy is a gift to the church. When a prophecy goes out, catch it and grab it and receive it. We're called to test these things. We don't want to receive prophecy that's gone astray. But when you are prophesied over by someone who is shepherding you or someone who's responsible for your soul, receive that. Run with it. Live in response to it. Live in the, on the base in accordance to it, in accordance with it. Go for it. That's for us every time. Every time. When I think about the prophecies that have been spoken over the music ministry of the house, and there are many, I believe in what God is doing and what he will do, and I ask him for these things, and I act in accordance to what he has spoken over us. When God has spoken things to you, You need to act in accordance to them. Otherwise, it's a waste. You're not going to be able to live to the fullness of all God wants you to live in if if you are not living in response to a prophetic word he's spoken over you. There is a fullness he desires to release to you as you take that word and run with it. Faith is always based on revelation. And this afternoon, I just feel like God wants to increase our faith to understand that it's not based on something fickle. It's not based on something that's going to crumble. It's not based on some idea we had. Faith is based on revelation. It's based on the certainty of something that has been revealed to us. It's unshakable. And so I feel it right now. God wants to release a greater measure of faith. Let's just pray. Let's close our eyes.
Now, I feel there are people here this afternoon who once held on to prophetic word. It bore witness with their spirit. They knew it was the word of God. They did not see the fruition of it, the fulfillment of it, and they've let it go. God has spoken to you. You've known that God has spoken to you. And you've let that go. And you're no longer living in accordance with that. And I feel the Lord wants to remind us of those things right now. All sorts of prophecies have gone out for us individually. All sorts of prophecies have gone out for us corporately. Just take a minute to remember what's been spoken over you, what's been prayed over you, what God has revealed to you by his spirit. your spirit. Remind us of what you've spoken over us. Remind us of what you've told us, God. Remind us. Remind us. Remind us. Stir it in our spirit. Stir it up inside of us, God. Thank you, Lord. Yes, God. Yes, God.